0: Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, if you're listening live or on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, the fines handed out to Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his Chancellor Rishi Sunak for breaking Covid lockdown rules. Should both men now resign after previously having denied attending parties? Johnson, the first serving PM to be punished for breaking the law, initially said that guidelines were followed at all times. He told Parliament that he thought a drinks party he attended in the Downing Street garden was a work event. Sunak told Parliament last December, I did not attend any parties. Labour leader Keir Starmer has called for Johnson to go. But Tory MPs are already circling the wagons, seeking to protect their leader, despite the fact that he broke the law at a time when families of those who died from Covid couldn't always comfort their loved ones in hospital or attend their funerals. North Thanet MP Roger Gale, who called for Johnson to resign earlier this year, said now is not the time because of the war in Ukraine. Scottish Tory leader Douglas Ross, who previously said lying to Parliament and breaking the ministerial code is a straight red, has also said now is not the time. In a moment, we'll hear from Safia Na, whose dad died from COVID-19, and Sam Bright from Byline Times. But I'd also welcome your reaction as well. If you're listening live on your phone, in the bottom left-hand corner, there's a little microphone icon. You can tap that to request access. And if you've got something interesting to contribute or a question to ask, then by all means, we'll be glad to let you on. And before we get cracking as well, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast come from the Byline byline times there are no oligarchs or corporate interests behind us no proprietor telling us what to say we are funded by ordinary people like you which means we can report without fear or favor if you're interested in taking out a subscription to the monthly byline times newspaper head over to our news breaking website bylinetimes.com where you can find details of how to subscribe that's at bylinetimes.com Let's get a word with Safia Nah, then, whose dad, Dr. Zahari Nah, died from COVID in February 2021. Safia, welcome to Byline Radio. How are you doing? You're all right.
1: Hi, yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. I think whenever these um, revelations come out about the government, it's always a particularly difficult time for bereaved family members. You know, it's another reminder of the trauma that we've experienced and. Um, Just a reminder that other people weren't playing by the rules when we were and our family members were dying.
0: Absolutely. And I know you've spoken about this before on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast. Just tell us a little bit about your dad, Dr. Zahari Na, how he passed away and also how much he contributed to society before that.
1: Mm, Yeah, so my dad was a Malaysian national. Um, He moved to the UK in the 70s to study um, and he trained as uh, his full job title is a bit of a mouthful. He was a clinical psychologist and a child and adult psychotherapist. Um, And he worked for the NHS for nearly 40 years. So he gave a great deal to this country Um, and he was 68 years old. He had no underlying health conditions. um, And during the second wave of Covid, and the numbers were so, were obviously appalling at that stage i remember reading that there were 1 in 20 people in the area that my parents lived in in central london who had covid um and my brother and i were doing the shopping for my parents um, because we couldn't get a delivery slot um and we picked up covid in a supermarket it was the only place we'd been to so it's the only possibility and um we unfortunately gave covid to my dad um and dad was okay for about a week. Um, eventually he started kind of coughing up blood. Um, so the, he was called into the hospital and even that, you know, this was the height of the second wave. My mum dropped him into the hospital and, um, you know, said to the nurse what was happening. And, um, and she was told get out as quickly as you can, because she didn't have COVID at at that time. And that's the last time that we saw my dad, um, and the whole experience was incredibly traumatic. Like my dad um, had never been in hospital in my living memory and he was incredibly anxious, um, not having his friends, his family members around him. And I'm so, I feel so guilty about that. So kind of reading about this and hearing about it and how the government were breaking their, not just breaking their own rules, but celebrating at a time where, you know, families were mourning in their in their tens of thousands. Um, it's deeply disrespectful, but it's also just it brings up really painful memories
0: and, in terms of your dad's passing away, Sophia, were you able to comfort him in those dying hours?
1: I wish that I could have um you know, I was sort of messaging we were messaging him on whatsapp um before he was intubated um and he was sort of trying to trying to i suppose protect us from what was really happening and the decisions that he was obviously having to make. Um, we then had a video call with him before he was intubated and my dad, you know, he was an intelligent man and he really valued his mind. Um, and he really, really didn't want to be intubated cause he knew that some of the, um, effects of intubation could lead to, um, you know, not being as sound of mind. And, um, and he eventually messaged us one morning and said, um, that he said, um, oh, I've decided to go for intubation, which really was his way of saying that. I think that was the only option. And we had a video call with him um, where he could barely speak. Um, So we tried to keep talking. And um, so it makes me quite emotional to think about it. because It's the last time I spoke to my dad. Um, And then he was intubated and he died just under a week later. So, no, in answer to your question, no, I didn't get to be with him.
0: That's so sad, Sophia, listening to that story. And I really don't want to exploit your grief in any way. But it is that that sense that many people will have had who lost loved ones. I know I've spoken to Nazir Afsal, the former Chief Crown Prosecutor for North West England who lost a brother in mm. similar circumstances. And I think people understood at the times that there had to be rules about observing how many people there were around bedsides, around funerals and so on.
1: Yeah.
0: But to find out that the Prime Minister and his Chancellor broke those same rules, I can't imagine how that must feel for you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's disturbing. Um, It seems very perverse that the people that were implementing these life-saving rules weren't obeying them. Um, And I think, you know, it's not Kind of speaking about it, it doesn't feel like exploiting it because I think really it's important that people hear our stories as bereaved family members because it's easy to sort of at this point in the in, at this stage in the pandemic we're almost moving on from COVID or there's a big desire to move on from COVID. But these stories bring up a really deep and unresolved trauma for us and um and actually we will be quote unquote living with COVID. And what does that mean? You know, the government have shown very little indication that they care about um people that maybe have disabilities or health issues that mean that living with COVID isn't really an option um but actually we really need to be thinking about that but we can't rely on this government unfortunately because they don't obey by the rules and they don't appear to care there's a real disconnect between them and um and the people of this country
0: I'll come back to you in a moment, Sophia, if I may. Thank you for your contribution so far. Let's bring in Sam Bright from Byline Times, chief investigations reporter. Sam, uh, we've heard Sophia's story there, and tragically, there will be many, many, many more of those. But as I mentioned in the introduction, some Conservative MPs who previously called for Johnson to go are already circling the wagons around him to protect him at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's looking quite uncertain at the minute whether, well, the, the, the precise mood of the party. But as you said, the initial indications are that, um, that he's going to survive this one. Both him and Sunak are going to survive this one, um, which is, I mean, it's grim. It's, it's grim seeing that headline on your phone that says that the prime minister and the chancellor have broken the law. And yet there's no trigger in the British political system. That removes that removes them from office, or uh, you know, an inquiry is held, or you know, uh, as in the United States, where you know, um, Parliament, Congress, in their case, can decide whether to retain those in power. It's essentially up to the mood of the Conservative Party um, whether to hold a no confidence vote or not in Johnson and to and to boot him out, um, or up to his personal moral convictions. As to whether um, he should stay or not, and um, you get the sense that if this were a month ago, six weeks ago, at the sort of peak of uh, the media uproar over these these various stories, then he would have gone. But that the the, uh, the Ukraine war has really um, has changed the dynamic within British politics. Um, sadly, it has to be said in Johnson's favour. And
0: that was one of the reasons that Roger Gale, the Conservative MP, gave for not seeking Johnson's resignation now. He said there will be a reckoning later, but he said that it would play to Vladimir Putin's agenda to destabilise the United Kingdom at the moment. Now, is there an argument that there is something to that, notwithstanding the understandable grief and anger of families like Sophia's?
2: um i mean anyone try? i I don't see how conservative mps can say that putin is an irrational actor and on uh, then on the other hand second guess what vladimir putin is thinking about party gate those two things don't seem to go together um for one i think there's also a convincing argument to be made that um that, that this undermines the british regime um both domestically it will it will lose yet more public support Um, It will fall in the polls, and as a result, it will lose credibility on an international stage as well. Not necessarily in terms of Vladimir Putin necessarily, but I'm thinking more in terms of our close allies, um, that America, Germany, France may just end up seeing Boris Johnson as a lame duck. And that, that, that certainly damages our clout on an international stage. I think there's also been the argument that there aren't any viable contenders, certainly after the week that Rishi Sunak has had. And the fact that he's now caught up in the fines, he's been sort of eliminated from the race. Um, and the Conservative Party, which is, uh, you know, perhaps um, something that you can't hold against them for thinking, um, is that there's just, there's just no one else to, to step up and lead the nation at, at this time. Not that Boris Johnson can do it particularly well, but uh, nobody else can either. It's no news that Boris Johnson is a liar, but in this
0: instance, he has lied to parliament so too has rishi sunak and i suppose for those people arguing that it would destabilize the british political system if we replace the prime minister at a time of invasion in ukraine it could also be argued couldn't it that it, it it's destabilizing to keep at the head of our democratically elected government someone who has misled his colleagues
2: and who has misled the public well exactly and um it, it's, it's repeated it's it's repeated lies on behalf of boris johnson it's been shown now that uh, he went before parliament and he said multiple things he said that the parties didn't happen then he said that no rules were broken, he said that he was appalled by um, some of his advisers seeming to joke about the parties when he was involved in them. He was, you know, the one being ambushed by a cake. And lest we forget, this isn't one or two parties. Uh, The Met police investigation is ongoing. And there are dozens of events that were held in Downing Street and along Whitehall, um, during during you know the various lockdown periods, and so he can't throw it off as an isolated incident either. This this was systemic rule breaking, law breaking, on behalf of the highest people in the land, and um, all that he's going to have to show for it is a is a paltry fine. It seems at this stage, which is utterly appalling and a damning indictment, I think, of our political system.
0: Safiya, I, I, I asked this question in all sort of due respect. You know, do you think the fact that we are supporting Ukraine at this time of invasion by Russia, do you think that makes any difference to Boris Johnson's position, notwithstanding the terrible ordeal that you've been through?
1: Mm, um, not particularly. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, we had... Um, We had a change of Prime Ministers during World War Two, and that wasn't to do with with law breaking. So arguably it's even more important this time. Um, Obviously Ukraine is a really big issue and we need strong leadership. Um, I don't think, and I think it's a, widely shared opinion that um, Boris Johnson has already proved that he's incapable of leadership at times when we need that leadership the most. Um, So I think actually it's arguably even more important that we we make that decision and we make it very quickly and that Boris Johnson resigns as soon as possible.
0: You think he should go now, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it is. Uh, I made this point to Sam, really. The other side of that debate saying that he can't go now is that if we're to stand we as the United Kingdom as part of this sort of network of nations that believe in democracy and accountability for our politicians, you could argue it makes it even more important that Johnson goes actually. If he's found to have lied to Parliament, if he's found to have broken the laws that he as Prime Minister was responsible for setting, if he were toppled that wouldn't say that we are weak in my view, that would say we are strong because nobody but nobody is above the law.
1: Yeah absolutely and I think that is exactly how it should be. Um, I just think Boris Johnson has had so many chances at this point and personally um I don't think that Boris Johnson is a great figurehead for this country I think he makes us look like a laughing stock um and I don't really believe that losing his leadership at this time will be particularly damaging um obviously he has been to Ukraine and he's met with Vladimir Zelensky at this point but um I don't I really think that the soon, the sooner the better you know his cabinet is not i wouldn't say that i'm particularly enthusiastic about any of his cabinet um, and anyone that could replace him but i really just think he's been the most appalling leader for the past two years and we need to learn from our mistakes at this point
0: sam it's a, a really difficult moment isn't it for the united kingdom but if boris johnson were to go uh, I suppose I repeat the point I made to Sophia there. It, it would say to the world, wouldn't it, that nobody is above the law, even even if, I mean, Johnson, the, the polls show, he's not a particularly well-loved prime minister, but even if it were the case that he were a well-loved prime minister, the fact that you cannot lie to parliament, the fact that you cannot get away with breaking the law, would, I think, send a message to other countries that might look to the UK as some kind of beacon, hard though it may be for us to imagine that at the moment.
2: <laughs> well, exactly. I think, in terms of domestic and international politics, you feel as though a marker has got to be put down by somebody to protect democracy and the rule of law. There's been, you know, a really a really dangerous slippage in recent years towards um, authoritarianism. Among Western democracies, you know, we saw it in the case of Trump and his denials that he ever lost the last election to Joe Biden. You know, we see in France the um, perilous rise of the far right, which um, you know could yet you know sweep power uh, in a week's time. And in the UK, we've 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 got this constitutional order where things are done by tradition and where we, um, we we leave ourselves vulnerable because we assume that those in power are always going to be good chaps playing by the rules. We essentially have an unwritten system whereby um, the powerful hold themselves to account. So the ministerial code, which is supposed to govern uh, the actions of ministers, um, the person in charge of enforcing that is the prime minister, um, which is just indicative of the sort of system that we've got. Um, And so it's a a case that we actually, we have to rely on the individual moral convictions of those um, seated in power in this country in order to prevent uh, a similar um, decline towards authoritarianism. You know, I I don't think we're ever going to, you know, slip towards um, the the sort of uh, despotic regimes that we caricature. But it's seriously the case that we've got um, a democracy in crisis at the minute, in large part thanks to Boris Johnson's lies and his rule-breaking, precisely because our constitutional arrangement allows for it to be so. Mm. The timing of these fixed penalty notices
0: I think is quite interesting as well. Let's remember... That the Metropolitan Police, under its previous commissioner, Cressida Dick, initially declined to investigate these offences. Though we were told mm. that they were too long ago, and it was only when the Sue Gray investigation was commissioned. Sue Gray being the senior civil servant who was tasked with investigating these matters, it was only then that the Metropolitan Police decided to investigate. Now, of course, Cressida Dick has now gone because she lost the confidence of the London mayor, Sadiq Khan. It may well be a a pure coincidence, but Cressida Dick only officially retired yesterday and the day after news of these fines emerges. Mm. Some people might see that there's something relevant and pertinent in that. At the same time, the fact that these uh, the news of these fines has come out now means that it, it comes out during a parliamentary recess where, quite conveniently for the Prime Minister and his Chancellor, there is no opportunity to grill them
2: immediately about about what's happened. Exactly. and You look at each of the establishments that are tasked with upholding democracy in this case. Parliament, like you say, it's uh, in recess, so it's not able to do it in this case. It, it, in other circumstances, anyway, Parliament is able to ask questions of the Prime Minister, but it's not able to meaningfully hold him to account to any, you know, any great extent. Um, it can essentially cause him embarrassment, but it can't remove him from office uh, unless the Conservative Party chooses to do so, which it hasn't. You've got, like you say, the police who were very reticent about getting involved in this whole process. Um, I believe the Good Law Project again, again, had a had a hand in them. Um, turning it towards investigating, uh, investigating the Downing Street parties. Um, then you've got the cabinet office and Sue Gray, who was commissioned to the to produce this report, which has been months in the making. And of course she produced an update prior to the Metropolitan police getting involved, but we haven't seen the full details of the Sue Gray report. Um, there were suggestions from ITV, which has led the investigation on this, um, that she um, that she provided the opportunity for civil servants to corroborate um, what they had said to her and the questionnaires that they submitted to the Metropolitan Police to ensure that there weren't any discrepancies. Which I mean that 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 seems to be uh, a bit of an inside job uh, in itself. And then you've got the final arm um, of democracy, which is which is the media, which. To be fair, despite the many, many problems that there are in the media that we've catalogued over the years, it has, you know, certain journalists, you know, particularly Pippa Creer at The Mirror uh, and certain journalists at ITV have done a sterling job in exposing these parties. And if it wasn't for them, um, we wouldn't be hearing about them at all. Um, And so essentially, our democracy is hanging on at this stage. Um, The public's access to knowledge is hanging on. To a few journalists being um, being annoying enough to those in power um to bring these sort of details to light yeah you
0: mentioned the sue gray report because i should clarify that a version of it has been published she published some initial findings uh, she said that there were 16 events 12 of which have been investigated by the metropolitan police sue gray discovered three events that had not previously been reported, but the full version of a report is currently not published because of the Metropolitan Police's investigation, which many people felt was launched at a very convenient time because it kind of kicked the full publication of the report into the long grass where it currently remains. Um, Safia, you are a member of a pressure group, COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice. Where does that battle go from here?
1: Well, it's ongoing. Um, So the main aim of the group at the moment um, is to shape the terms of reference for the inquiry. So we've been pushing for the inquiry for a good two years now. um, And now that we've appointed a chair, um, we're speaking to the chair to consult on specific areas of the terms of reference. Um, So the government put out a um, proposed terms of reference last month. and lots of key parts of that um, didn't cover experiences of bereaved family members and um, people that were closely involved with the pandemic so we've been meeting um, bereaved family members up and down the country have been meeting with the chair of the inquiry to kind of advise um, what we think should be included or reinstated into the terms of reference
0: and this is Baroness Hallett, isn't she? She's chairing mm. the investigation. And one thing I know that, and you mentioned this right at the start about your dad having come from Malaysia, one mm. thing that you're very keen for her to examine is the disproportionate impact of COVID on uh, minority communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, as I said, my dad was Malaysian, and we know it's a well-known fact that um, that COVID has affected minority ethnic groups um, disproportionately Um, and you know I've seen that from the perspective of my dad my dad was obviously Malaysian Um, he had no underlying health conditions but when we went to his funeral um, they had opened it was he was buried at a Muslim cemetery he was Muslim and they opened a a completely new section of the cemetery to deal with the number of bodies that were coming in every day Um, we watched as diggers dug up his grave in front of us because that was a time-saving mechanism that had been employed um to deal with how many people were, were dying and, and going to that cemetery um and my dad's grave you know will eventually be landscaped but at the moment it is one amongst hundreds of graves that um, are just mounds of earth with sticks of wood sticking out um with his name and the coordinates of his grave handwritten on so I use that example just because it's a very clear indication of how how much covid has affected um the muslim community and we know that it has disproportionately affected all black and minority ethnic groups in this country Um, and it's a a well-known fact it's just not often um the topic of conversation you know the government's parties and mishandlings of the pandemic um often get more um sort of traction in the media which is fair enough but it's really 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 important that that is at the forefront of the inquiry because we must understand why that's the case
0: and that incident you describe of watching the diggers dig up your dad's grave whilst you are there mourning his loss that is trauma upon trauma
1: mm, it's a weird yeah it's a strange thing because i can i know sort of saying that that's saying that to you that that is a pretty um, shocking thing to say, but I actually, on the day of his funeral, there was so much going on. It was so unexpected that he died. You know, as I said, he was relatively young um, and he had no underlying health conditions, but yeah, it was, um, it was a really, really strange thing to see. And it's completely fair enough on behalf of the people that run the cemetery, you know, they had to deal with uh, incredible number of bodies coming in every day. um, And that was, that was all that they could do. Um, but yeah it is and and that's another thing that we are sort of tra- pushing to be covered in the inquiry it's not in the government's terms of reference but we've asked for it to be included that the lack of support for bereaved family members who you know there is a that it is an incredibly traumatic thing to lose somebody to covid and to keep reliving that trauma every time we hear about you know these parties and the news um or covid is just it's a topic of conversation. Everyone talks about it all the time. You know, how are you doing? Weather's nice. Um, and then something about COVID, you know, we all talk about it and it's lighthearted and I understand that, but there needs to be some sort of support in place for bereaved family members because some people have lost their only, um, partner and, and it is a a hugely sudden and traumatic loss.
0: (sighs) Since your father's passing and in recent months, we've moved to a situation now where the official attitude, certainly in England anyway, is that of living with COVID as well. I just wonder if you have any observations on that, given that that is very much of the ideological mindset of Boris Johnson. And right at the start of COVID, we know the government was slow to lock down. They've been keener in England to, in inverted commas, move away from lockdown restrictions than they have in other parts of the United Kingdom. How does that feel to you?
1: I find it quite offensive and I find it very worrying. Um, From my personal perspective, you know, my family members and me have all been vaccinated and um, I don't personally have any sort of health vulnerabilities, but as a bereaved family member and someone that has experienced acutely, how dangerous COVID can be, I'm extremely concerned. Um, I still wear my mask kind of everywhere I go. Um, and no one else really does anymore. Um, I find that really worrying and I do hold a lot of anxiety sort of going out, um, because of that. Um, and then, you know, yeah, when we talk about living with COVID it's a very broad statement because people live have to live with covid from very different um base points you know um some people are living with covid who are already vulnerable to a disease like covid um but there's no measures in place to protect people like that and that's that's the real problem with this government i think because we move forward but there's no actual strategy behind moving forward um and i just i really hope i mean who knows what will happen to boris johnson but I think anything is better than this government that just barrels into these situations without thinking. And lives, you know, we've lost... We have one of the worst death rates in the world and we've lost so many people. And I know that that is in the past, but we must move forward with some introspection and um, some kind of thought process about how we protect people going forward.
0: Mm. Sam, I mentioned uh, Roger Gale, the... Conservative MP for Thanet North saying now is not the time and Douglas Ross, the Scottish Tory leader as well. Early days, isn't it? But do you think that's likely to be the common view of Conservative MPs or are we now going to see a movement perhaps from those backbenchers who were reserving judgments before news of the fixed penalty notices came
2: out, perhaps moving against him? I would suspect, though, I might have to come back on and eat my words, Adrian. So please do have me if that's the case. Um, but I would suspect that he's gonna he's gonna hang on. Um, I think the conservative the noises from the Conservative Party over the past few weeks have been pretty unified. Um, that you know, regardless of what happens, to be honest, that um, the, the the they're in support of the Prime Minister. I think a key thing with a political coup is that you need to know. Who your chosen successor is, um, and it seems as though Sunak was was that person up until the last week. And obviously, he's been dragged into various political scandals, not just the one today. And I think aside from him, there's no there's no clear contender. Liz Truss has been the one um, who's been rumoured in the past because she's very popular. Within the Conservative Party membership, but um, as my call- as my colleague Adam Biancov always says, um, she doesn't necessarily have the support among Conservative MPs, um, and that's the f- that's the first crucial step that she's got to that she's got to pass. She's got to win their support. Um, so I'd say that uh, due to due to those reasons, primarily, um, we're going to see Boris Johnson in charge. Uh, I'd say it's fairly likely at the next election.
0: Let's bring Mark Wilson into the conversation. Hello, Mark. What do you want to say? Hello. Yes. On
3: what Sam's just been saying, I have just I have seen a tweet from Grimsby Conservatives uh, saying that he should go now. They even they think he should go. Um, and I think the proof uh, with the, a lot of the backbenchers, maybe Red Wall or or other other um, MPs, not necessarily the, the obviously the cabinet MPs or, or anyone specifically, particularly um, to the fore. Um, I think the upcoming local elections, I'm a a local councillor in Solihull. We we are um, opposition to a Conservative-led administration and um, it will be i think the proof of the pudding will be the the uh, how the the polls are looking um in the lead up to the local elections and then of course if if many if a lot of conservative uh councillors lose their seats um and and that'll put probably a little bit of pressure also on backbenchers you know in 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 the in the provinces if you like and the and across the uk and i think that's where the the main proof of the of the pudding in this whether he's caught they call him to go um Will that that's where it will sit, I think, you know, in, in that in that sense? Um, they will get jumpy. Um, I've seen that Julian Knight, the Solyol MP, is waiting for some kind of to see how clear it is that about the the the, the uh context of the fines or or something akin to that, that. I mean, obviously, it's pretty clear what's happened. Um, but they're they're I think they're scrabbling around a little bit, and I think they could be they could be a lot more on this, whether 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 uh, Johnson is forced out um, from backbenches, and, and, of course, obviously local Conservative parties uh,
0: generally, the, the, the groups. Mark, thank you. Uh, Sam, one strange thing I've seen, and this was referenced on GB News today, was that a couple of years ago there was a report in the Times newspaper about Johnson and Sunak having attended a birthday celebration during lockdown. And the GB News presenter suggested that this might be the get-out for Johnson and Sunak because the information about the birthday celebration during lockdown had been shared with the press. And so there was no suggestion at that time of anybody kicking off about it. It was simply reported. And so the idea, at least, is out there from at least one news organisation that supports Johnson, that they had been clear about this, and it was only retrospectively that it became an issue, particularly if the one incident, if they are each only fined for one incident, if it was that birthday party.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say, first of all, GB News being total Muppets, as usual. But um, I think we both know that it's, it's the way that it's written up. Um, you know you, you're a lot more experienced than I am Adrian but um, you know that that piece of that nugget of news buried behind the Times paywall um, you know it's not an, it's not an open platform the times really for the the masses of people will look at not like the BBC I think you know the there's um, it's not surprising that that didn't uh, generate public outrage um, at the time I'd say, a couple of things. I mean, for for one thing, we obviously had the Dominic Cummins scandal and his visit to Barnard Castle, which was sort of the first iteration of this of this saga and the public outrage over that was was very much equivalent to now so i don't think there's an argument that oh well the public didn't care about it back then so why are we bothered about it now i think that you know obviously the way that it's written up to, written up is important but in terms of the raw facts when they are disseminated in a in a fair way to the public um, there is anger there there is there is very clear there is very clear anger there i think that I do I'm sort of in two minds about whether additional fines will make a difference. I think if it becomes a snowball and we see one every couple of days or one a week the pressure could really mount on Johnson and Sunak. But I mean the tempo of it from the Met Police so far um I'm right I think I'm right in saying this is the second um stage this is the second um release of fines and the first one was a few weeks ago so it does seem as though they're drip feeding these fines to us and if it's drawn out over a longer period of time the media might uh, many elements of the media particularly those that are sympathetic to johnson might end up losing their focus especially since the story won't be moving moving on significantly in the way that it has today so I think that, yeah, I think the pace of the Met Police's investigation, um, yeah, has a, has a real impact on the Prime Minister's future.
0: Sophia, Sam mentions the media there. How do you feel that your cause and your campaign has been reflected more broadly in the media?
1: In a broad sense, I think that the media have been supportive of us. Um, you know, they have given us a voice, really, where often a lot of the swell of interest comes around um, news events like this like the breaking of rules um and there have been so many um that there has been an interest in bereaved families reaction so i have felt support from the media um in that sense um as i say it's very much kind of concentrated on um on these rule breaking activities um which is fine i think um going forward hopefully this will actually create the pressure as sam was saying that will. Lead to Boris Johnson's re- resignation, and it's not like a personal vendetta. It's more just—I really don't think that it's good enough. I think, you know, it's insulting to the intelligence of this country to continuously lie to us at one of the most difficult times in our history, in our recent history. Um, and yeah, I think it's—it's it's really important that that pressure is kept up by the media because um, that obviously creates a taste um for the rest of the country and for the the people of this country
0: Sophia, really appreciate your time today thank you and good luck with your ongoing campaign it's been a privilege to speak to you thank you good luck to you and thanks also to sam bright from byline times thank you sam Uh, sam's got to get back now to Editing the paper edition, along with Hardeep Matharo and Peter Jukes and one or two other colleagues, editing the paper edition of the Byline Times, which will now have to be extensively rejigged in the light of this story. But the Byline Times, the monthly newspaper, is paid for by subscribers. Nobody owns it outside of, well... The readers really so if you take out a subscription or even better still a membership you're not only helping support the great journalism of the byline times which is all about reporting without fear or favor you'll also be supporting the byline radio supporting the byline times podcast and the news breaking website bylinetimes.com and that's where you'll find details of how to subscribe that's bylinetimes.com good honest journalism thanks to sam thanks to sophia thanks to you for listening we'll be back again with byline radio soon or the byline times podcast where you can listen again do follow our twitter stream at byline radio and we'll let you know as and when we're going live with byline radio cheers now see you soon bye